Hello, friends. Welcome to the Christchurch Port Orange Midweek Podcast, where we deep dive into the scriptures we examined from the previous Sunday morning without the constraint of time, as well as discuss questions and topics of interest from members of our Christchurch family. I'm Pastor Jesse Jarvis, your host. Let's dive in. Welcome back, everybody. So good to have you join us. I'm excited about our conversation today. Uh, we are in the middle of a series entitled Worthy of It All. Actually, we're nearing the end. We've rounded the corner. And uh, that's culminating in a Sunday we're calling Say Yes Sunday, and it's pertinent to the season we are in as a church family, uh, strategizing and preparing to become one church in two locations. We're not the first to have made this journey, but it's new for us and uh, unique to the situation we're in. But our goal is not to make the focus our strategy or the change or the challenges, but instead to keep our eyes on Jesus who is the only one worthy of it all. And the reason why we're doing everything we're doing, it's for him. And so this past uh, weekend, the sermon title was Praise Worthy. And um, Honey Swihart gave the message. And so today we uh, welcome her to the podcast. Welcome, Honey. Hey, thank you. Great to be here. And as always, our tech director, Bill Mayer, is with us. Hello. And I'm excited to talk a little bit about the Sunday sermon and um, all the things that are happening uh, in the life of our church. It's its a, not only an historic kind of season for us as we're kind of pivoting in our strategy and, and branching into new realms of ministry and extending our, our reach as a church into the, the east side of um, our county on the beach side, um, but also this has involved the coming together of two ministries and um, and um, groups of servants of Jesus. And so... Um, for a number of years, the topic of women in ministry has been one that's come up in the life of our church and having a small staff and one preaching pastor who is male, uh, it's been entirely theoretical. And yet now with uh, the addition of honey, pastor honey to the staff, um, we kind of re-engaged on that issue to talk about it publicly. And this was the first time in the history of Christ church that we've had a woman bring the Sunday sermon. And so that's historic also. Wow. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. And so um, we all have, obviously, we know your public ability and um, ministry gifting for leading worship and uh, prophetic exhortation. And I've heard you speak publicly at various events. And so you're obviously a very comfortable public speaker, but um, phenomenal job with the sermon on Sunday. Oh, thank you. And as a, as a professional preacher uh, and someone who's just fascinated, obviously, first and foremost, with the person of Jesus, secondly, with the scriptures themselves, but with the craft of preaching um, and having studied that and pursued that and being fascinated with that in personally, um, it was, it was a great sermon. Well, thank you. Yeah. And I enjoyed it and I'd love to talk to you about it. I have to say um, the laughs that you got out of the lipstick joke and I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't listened to the sermon yet. So if you're listening to the midweek podcast first and you haven't listened to the sermon, hit the pause button, go back an episode listen to uh listen to the sermon but oh, it was just hilarious i love it it's a fun one that's one i heard years ago and i don't remember jokes well and so having this for some reason this is one that i always remember so it's stuck, a fun stuck one to in tell. your memory yeah yep. you don't forget it and it's very fitting it's very fitting brought that feminine angle yes i didn't that's... even think about that <laughs> oh you got it all you got <laughs> you got lipsticks you got potty humor all the things uh, the, the principle in the story in the joke was a female uh-huh yeah know. i saw it. and that was totally up to you you could have you could have gone either way with that <laughs> Uh, the janitor was male or was that gender uh, you know, ambiguous? I, said, I think ambiguous, but I mean, <laughs> we all imagined a man, imagined of course, a man. right? 
Oh, <laughs> uh, well, the topic was uh, one obviously dear to my heart and part of the the kind of crafting. So I, I was instrumental in crafting the series and um, kind of put that out to our team. And everybody kind of grabbed one of those titles. You reached for that title, uh, Praiseworthy, and there wasn't, it wasn't like the sermon was written. It was just the title. And so the concept was there, but, um, what, what was the interest there? What was the draw there for you? Well, initially just considering the fact that I've spent so much of my life in worship ministry, it's who I am. Like I I really do strive to, to live a life of worship. Um, but for me, it was really just in, in praying to the Lord, you know, when I saw that praiseworthy, I thought, okay, God, you know, is this, is this what we're going to do? You want, do you want me to talk about your worthiness? And, and I instantly heard, I want you to teach my people how to worship me. Mm. And so that was why it grabbed my heart. And I was excited to teach people how to live a life of worship. Yeah. Yeah. And you did that super well. I loved that uh, you were able to bring just the, the simple reality right up front. uh, What is worship? And like, let's just talk about that for a second. You talked about us being created to worship and that the idea that it, it's not just Christians who worship God because God said so, but it's in our DNA to worship. And I think that resounded with a lot of people and that set the stage to be able to like direct people to go. This isn't necessarily like a thing you have to be taught to do. It's a matter of being instructed on how to do the thing that God made you to do. And so like, I felt like that really set the stage for a really healthy uh, conversation. And it did feel like a conversation, which is one of the reasons I think the way God's gifted you as a natural communicator is everybody felt, uh, engaged and involved the whole time. I also loved your commitment to simplicity and the line worship is love expressed and being able to spend the, the four, four or five points that you brought out to, to work through what is that exactly? And how does that work? It was very relational. It brought us into this. This is not just a practice. It's not a spiritual discipline. It's not a performance. This is a relationship that we're in and to be able to cultivate that intimacy and learn to express that love towards God and seeing all of those various ways as acts of worship uh, was, was really great. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I was also hoping that, you know, being new here, that people would also get to hear some of the stories and get to know even me as a person. Yep. Yeah. That's really good. We, uh, so we have this conversation when we talk about, um, preaching, the, the kind of ethos conversation. So that trust of how do you connect with the speaker and telling stories about where you came from is a great way for people to feel connected to you. And, uh, so the stories were great and you're obviously a very gifted storyteller too. And, um, we got more than one toilet into the sermon. I tell you what, so many of them. I know. I didn't think about that until after first service. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> so <laughs> it's many, a theme. so many potties, multiple potties in the sermon. So but, many. Uh, but the stories were the stories were super great. Um, and I, I just love the your ability and willingness to like to recenter on the simple. What is love? Okay, we all kind of use that word. We know what it is. I think um, intuitively. It's obviously a limited word in English, you know, from the, the biblical languages, there's lots of words that we translate love, but that, uh, denote or, um, intimate a different aspect of love. And so to talk about what is love, God is love and our command is to love God. And it brings us right back to that, that intimate relationship that God wants to have with us. It's one of affection. It's one of connection. It's one of relationship. And because of that, I think everybody in the room who knew and loved God was ready to go, how can I show him I love him, you know? Um, but you didn't, you didn't stop there too. You also very early in the sermon, bringing us to John three sixteen, um, talked, talked about God being the giver initially. He's the one who took the initiative. He's the one who loved us. And I just love that sincere 
invitation to anybody that didn't know God that way and hadn't given their life to the Lord, uh, essentially to let God love them and to receive what he wanted to give them. Yes. And, um, I saw different people being prayed for at the end of each service. I did not talk to anyone who gave their life to the Lord in the sermon, but I, I always expect every single time we gather that there's going to be people who don't know God and they may be people who are dragged to church against their will or people who are near, but not in, you know, who know some things and have aligned with people and are comfortable in church environments, but haven't really given their whole heart to the Lord. And so, um, I just love that every time you come to Christ church and every time you listen to a sermon, there's going to be an, an invitation and an opportunity to give God your everything and to receive his gifts of forgiveness and salvation. That was really beautiful. Yeah. I love the, I love the pausing right there too. In that moment it was just, it was just hung out there. I was just praying and asking God to do his, do his work that only he can do. Yes. Well, let's talk about your points. And, um, part of the, the reason we started this podcast, um, is so that what the things that end up on the cutting room floor, the things that didn't make it in. And so if you're anything like me, there's probably things in your notes that in that first service you went, well, oh, don't have time for that. I'm passing over that. or I'm condensing this. And then there's some frustration there because there's already a lot we leave on the table on by Saturday. Yes. A lot of things that were in our hearts to share that there isn't going to be time for. You have to make hard decisions. And, um, I think, uh, everyone would love to hear anything that you had planned to communicate and didn't get a chance to. So if at any point that is in any of these sections, like definitely interject. Yeah. Well, and I could even start with the first one that comes to mind, Yeah, just overarching. And I love it because the way God works, you know, it, I love the way, especially in this concept of team leadership, the way God moved. But in my very first draft of writing the sermon, I, I had put the fact that God doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need it. He's not an insecure God, right? right? Like um, he wants it. He desires it because he loves us. And he also knows what worshiping does to us Mm -hmm. when we worship him. Mm -hmm. But God doesn't need our worship. And, um, And I didn't say that. And what I love about it is that the way God worked throughout the services, when you came up for the closing in one of the services, mm-hmm. You mentioned that, and and I just love the way the Lord tied it all in. So that was one of the things that that had kind of hit the you know the mm-hmm. cutting room floor that I I didn't have time to really unpack, but yet it was evident God wanted people to know that, and yeah. I love how you brought it all together. Oh, thank you. I loved uh, in the telling of the story about God stopping you at the base of the stairs and calling you into that that moment. That was very like humanizing, and I think all of us could connect with the the struggle of faith when we're going through a prolonged period of uncertainty or suffering and it doesn't it's not that it shakes our faith but it definitely shakes our experience of god right when he doesn't do the thing that we're expecting him to do when we're asking 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 and there's a time delay and we trust him we know that he's always doing good and he's for us but do we put our focus on what needs to be done and what we're concerned about and being in the right place at the right time and what is our internal condition i think that story and then your, your response to that was very obviously relational, but then also the, the emphasis fell on what God did in you. It wasn't just what you gave to him, which was beautiful, but also like what he did through you and then in you. And this is, uh, I think this is, there's a lot of worship songs that are coming out right now that kind of express that, you know, um, my weapon is a melody and, uh, there's different lines that like resound in my head of, of ways that like this, this does a thing to me. And that's true, you know, 
and forgiveness is like that. You know, God wants God, God brings us forgiveness and then that's supposed to flow to us and then through us. And when we forgive other people, it does a thing on the inside of us. And so there's all, there's always these like multiple layers of benefit or blessing. And I think that you really captured that in, um, in that particular story. And so that's where the Holy Spirit was speaking to me that Habakkuk two fourteen, and that, that Psalm 50 verse 12, like, I don't need anything from you. Like I, I want you to share in who I am and I want you to experience something for me. And this is the way that I've set this up to, to work in this interaction, you know? Yes. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things I didn't share when sharing that story, just another added aspect is I call it my, my even if moment, Hmm. but there was this handoff that happened in the midst of that worship where I had to say to God, even if my husband is not healed in this, I will worship you even if. And so in the laying down of that, the laying down of my husband and, and reaching this place of trust and love and saying to God, okay, I trust you enough Mm -hmm. that no matter what happens, I will worship you. Um, for me was, was life changing. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was palpable in the room. And I think you recaptured that in the, the, the story of Abraham and Isaac in that was it Genesis 22. Yes. In Genesis 22, I haven't gone back and read it yet, as you can see. Um, but just that same willingness to obey, to like take, to take it all the way to the end. And it's one thing to say that it's one thing to say, like, I want to have the faith towards God to be that way. Or I admire that in Abraham or in someone else. But when we're at that place where we are personally having to say, even if, you know, we live in a world, the part of our brain that isn't, um, staying connected to God immediately moves to what if, right? So we're, we're under the blessing of God. We're walking with God where everything's kind of under control apparently. Um, and our fears tell us, well, what if this, and what if that, and what if this, but when you come to a situation where you're facing down, the doctors are saying, prepare yourself. And now you're having, you're like grappling in reality, not with just fear, but like a legitimate future where what if, and to have that in faith, and in an expression of worship transform from a what if to an even if is like right where God wants us to be. So good. And it's, it's the place where he is everything. And we just, we're, we're ready to receive everything from his hand. And our, our world is in desperate need of that right now. I even think I got up this morning early and just wanted to see what was going on in the world and open the news. And I just found myself overwhelmed by these attacks in Israel and the, the war that's ensuing and fears of, you know, are there going to be isolated attacks throughout the rest of the world through these terror networks and, and then finding myself infuriated at the way people are talking about this. And I was just like boiling inside, you know, and the, what if start to turn on, you know, what if this, what if that, what if that, and, um, I just had to turn it all off for a moment and I just started to pray. And I guess that can be an act of worship also, maybe not one of the five that you mentioned, but just coming to the Lord and going, God, you know, where, where are you in this? And where do you want me in this? And like, I need to find my center in you. And I just started praying and I think I didn't, I wouldn't have phrased it that way, but I think that even if moment kind of comes, or at least that feeling of going, no matter what, like you are in control, you see the end from the beginning. What, what am I supposed to do? You know, yes. how am I supposed to respond to this? What's the, what's the contribution that I'm supposed to make? And that's a very micro question. And I think, I think the, the way that you ordered those, those kind of five expressions of love, um, acts of worship became very micro, very personal. And I think that's super, super important. So, uh, so how about practically, I'd love to ask you this with all of the, the myriad 
opportunities, possibilities of expressions of worship. Um, how did the spirit of God guide you in kind of limiting yourself to these five? It was difficult. It was, you talk about the cutting room floor. I mean, there was, I probably started with 20 pages of notes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, it really was just the Holy spirit. I just asked him to, to tackle five. And I think it goes back to what you touched on the practicality. Like these are five ways that we can show we can worship the Lord within the context of our daily lives yeah. consistently and yeah. all we do, we can give him our time. And, and one of the things I didn't touch on, I talked about how handing over our schedule to God, mm-hmm. but, but most importantly, we can spend time with him. Right. And, and, and so for me, they're just the most impactful that in my life, you know, living a life of service as mm-hmm. worship and, and even in preparation for our say yes Sunday and yeah. what God is calling us into. I felt like those five things were very pertinent to where he's leading us as a congregation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So those five things, um, worship is giving or love expressed is giving, serving, obedience, sacrifice. And then we ended with adoration. And yes, all of those things are going to become pivotal for us. And I love the way that you tackled giving because, you know, that's a buzzword. And so when people hear giving in church and they immediately think of an offering and finances and you acknowledge that and then backed up went went like meta narrative on the thing, 30,000 feet, like our, our most valuable resources time. What does it look like for us to give God our time? you know, our days, our, our plans, our agenda. And so I think that's a very powerful disposition to start that way. And it also, for me, it like put some legs to the finance part, which you got to at the end, like we give God our time and we say, how do you want me to order this? And we tend to not think that way about money. We tend to think about this is the money I'm giving to God. And the reality is, like you said, it's all his. And the question is, will you come to him with everything and say, here's what I have. What do you want me to do with it? That's a, that's a much larger question. And, um, we're going to talk about this, this coming Sunday when we're preparing to, to give an offering. And because we don't do a weekly offering at Christ church, it's not a topic we talk about with regularity. So these may be, um, these may be issues that people aren't like, don't have categories for in their minds. But when, with God being the owner of everything and us being merely stewards, we have to recognize what does it look like for us in whatever situation we're in and like I have been, um, in my short life, I have been Im- completely impoverished with the inability to pay bills. The, like you said, shoes on my feet, wearing out, not going to bed, hungry, getting clothes, hand-me-downs and bags to like having a budget, paying the bills, having nothing left over, no fun, no joy, but the bills are paid and, and lived right there with like no margin. And I've been at the place where I have enough and more than enough. And I'm now taking the extra and saying, okay, Lord, where do you want to put this? And then I've also like received, I wouldn't say windfalls, but like I've had access to means and, and been able to say, Lord, with the stored wealth here, how do you want me to use that? And those are very, that's like, a. we tend to think about poor and rich people in terms of categories or classes. Like there are poor people and there are rich people. And we were joking about this at party of seven on Sunday night. Like, how do you tell if you're rich, you know? You'll get some of that humor on Sunday if you're there. Um, it was a fun conversation. Um, but we don't actually we don't actually stay in those categories typically. We typically move in and out of them. And so the question is, how will we honor God with our uh, money in each of those environments? So I talked about this a couple years ago, that there are means givers, those who just have stored wealth and are going to access from that to, to be a part of a generosity initiative. 
there's margin givers. There's those who like don't have stored wealth by any means. They may have like emergency fund. They have their Dave Ramsey thousand bucks or whatever, but there's not like they don't have a trust fund to pull from or a 401k or whatever, or big savings or equity or whatever. Um, but they have this little bit that they can do. And then there's the miracle givers. There's like the, it would take a miracle for me to be able to give anything. Like I don't have enough daily to do the things that I'm supposed to do. And so how am I supposed to even contribute? And I love that you brought up the widow's two mites because that's an expression of someone who's in that miracle giving category and yet caught the attention of Jesus in her giving. And it wasn't about the amount of money and it wasn't about the purpose of the money. It was about the heart of worship of love expressed behind that gift. And I think that as we prepare as a church to give generously for this expansion initiative, to complete the renovations at our second campus, to create spaces for people to encounter God, that is the place I want us to be, to be saying, God, where do you want to connect with me? What is it that I can give to you? It's not about how much it is. It's not about the impact that it has or what we're asking, what we're, but it's, it's a relationship and it's an expression of love. And like, you will never resent that if that's the way that you give, right? Yes. You'll never go, oh, that didn't go the way that I had anticipated. And that's not what we talked about or this, whatever. You'll never resent it. You'll never be in a different city, different place, different season and go, I wish I wouldn't have done that when it is an expression of love towards God. And that's the kind of act of giving that we're looking for and seeking to prepare. Yes. And, and, you know, he's so faithful to provide Right. I mean, it's the one thing he says, test me in this. And, and one of the things I didn't share was the fact that, so those of you that listen to the sermon and hear the story, but I, I gave up all I had for one pair of shoes that I could buy and bought them for someone else. But in the midst of that, I still left that day without shoes. Right. And about a week later, I had someone contact me out of the blue that said, God said, I'm supposed to buy you new shoes. Nice. And I got a brand new shoe, mm-hmm. pair of shoes. Yep. So he's faithful to provide yep. and, and reward our obedience yep. in that act of giving. Have you had anyone ask you the end of those stories yet? That's going to happen to you. It happens to me all the time where I tell a story and the point is at like a tension point, And then I draw that into this sermon without resolving the story. And I'll preach the rest of the sermon at the end of the sermon. Someone will come up to me and say, what happened in this situation? You know, like, did you ever get shoes? Yeah, I did. I had one person come up yesterday. Did you get shoes? And so, yes, I got to share. I did. That was me for three services. I was really? Waiting. I was like, did you get shoes? Did the Lord give you shoes? I know he will. <laughs> he did. Yes. Oh, man. That's so good. Yeah. That was a great story. Yeah. And I think, um, it also opens categories in terms of giving and generosity, right? Uh, there's, there's all kinds of, um, ways that our stories teach lessons that we're not verbalizing, right? One of the things that we hear regularly about, you can't outgive God, like God's doing so much more than the obvious. He's doing stuff in us. He's doing stuff through us. Like I could feel like the blessing it was to you in a, in a place of need to be able to be a blessing to a person in a greater place of need. Yes. You know, and I've had this challenge. I've given this challenge to people before when it comes to money, like some people have, um, thousand dollar problems, you know, like it's going to take $5,000 for me to have an answer to a prayer. Like that's a situation a person will find themselves in that same person actually has the capacity to answer someone else's hundred dollar problem. You know, there's somebody who is going to have the water cut off because of $77. And so like, I want to like remind everyone just because you have a need doesn't mean you can't be an answer to somebody else's prayer. 
Yes. It's the same thing. You could have somebody that has million dollar problems. Like I'm about to have a foreclosure on 637 acres that is half developed in a project that I could lose my shirt on. But you also have $380,000 in your checking account and you could solve somebody's $5,000 problem. The question is, are we living our lives with open hands towards God and saying, what do you want me to do today? You understand this. And I think your story really illustrated that. And I love that you kind of left us with that tension of you leaving goodwill with no shoes. Because the reality is, is God doesn't always immediately answer our need, but he does want to do a thing through us to answer somebody else's need. And we're, we're in this, we're in this now, um, the season where we're, we're going into million dollar, you know, not problems, but like assets, million dollar assets, million dollar plus mortgages, hundred plus thousand dollar renovation strategies, big needs, but we're not going into it with small eyes on God or that, you know, the, 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 the support isn't there. Right. So I'm regularly having these encounters of going, all right, Lord, where's this $150,000 going to come from? And yet at the same time, I'm asking the Lord every day, is there a $100 problem I can solve? Is there a need that I can meet that you're putting on my heart? And if we have a whole community of people like that, there's just no end to how God's going to move and how the kingdom becomes visible. So I thought that was super powerful. So giving, we talked about. Worship as serving. I loved uh, your genuine encouragement of the Christchurch family, having been here. Obviously, we're, we're Christchurch adjacent in the community for years, but having been here now a few months and been able to see the high degrees of, of commitment and serving that's happening in the church, I think that was a big encouragement for people to hear that. And then to tie that into this, not just like a thing we do, it's like an expression of love toward God. And again, it just brings such a deeper, meaningful uh, purpose in that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think we could all experience that. And that is also going to be a big ask for us on say yes Sunday. Um, not only to maybe for people to start serving in a new place, if they're leaving a team in Port Orange to join a team in Daytona, and there's going to be a whole opening up where someone else can step up in Port Orange, people who have not served or maybe who have served minimally and infrequently now coming into a team where they're serving one service once a month, or even serving in two different ministries simultaneously and serving more frequently than that. And so there's going to be a new opportunity to go to a new level in service. And it's so important that we recognize to our Jesus who is worthy of it all. This is an expression of love. It's not meeting a need. It's not, you're saying yes, because we're asking it's, I am loving Jesus with my life. And what is he asking me to do? And so we're, we're coming to this really with, with asking the Holy spirit, what do you want me to do and at every level, whether it's sharing our testimony, reaching out to other people, inviting people to church, signing up to serve in new ways, giving a, a, an offering towards finishing this campus, whatever that's going to look like. It is us coming to God in that relational aspect of saying, I love you and I want to love you with whatever it is I have in my hands, whatever it is I have with my time, the talents that you've given to me. What do you, what do you want? You know? Yeah. And I think that perspective shift, I have so many people come to me and go, you know, I feel a call to ministry. I want to be used by God in big ways. Yeah. And and so they're thinking on this grand, grand, just like you said before, kind of a 30,000 foot view, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, you just have to start at the beginning and and listen to where the Lord wants you to serve and, and recognize the kingdom impact you have when you brew a cup of coffee yeah. for a first time believer, mm-hmm. you know, for a first time visitor. And so, you know, you want to be used by God. Okay. Ask him, what can you do? There is no task too small to do for him as an act of worship. And yeah. I think all of us adjusting that focus. And that's why it was so important for me to share my story 
about how even though I did have a big role in ministry on the platform, right. I felt the significance of what I did in cleaning the toilet had more in kingdom impact that day, not just on myself, right. but just to recognize the fact that the little things matter yeah. and it's the obedience that matters um, to him. Yeah. So, so yeah, every, every, there's no job too small to do for him. Yeah. And I actually, I heard the most feedback about that story. Most people that came up and chatted with me were impacted by that story of, of being served. They're like, man, serving, like, you know, you're on stage, you're doing these things, but you're also cleaning toilets. Right. Yes. Yeah. And that, that is, that is a reflection of our Jesus. Like he is literally the biggest deal ever. Yes. He is the one who is seated on the throne and yet out of love for humanity created in his image, he gets low, 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 goes all the way down. I, I do wonder, like, I do wonder what the life of Jesus looked like that's not recorded in the gospels. What was, what was the tenderness and lowliness of Jesus expressed? I just imagine him doing, you know, menial tasks for little children and opening things and cleaning stuff up and staying late to help and, you know, putting furniture back and you know what I mean? Yes. Like I just see him as being that kind of a person when expressed in his humanity. And like, that's, that's the kind of community that we want to really develop and to grow. So we talked a little bit about this expression of uh, worship and this question of, okay, God, what do you want me to do? But then you took us to this whole arena of clarity about what God wants us to do. Not a matter of, of all the things I could do. What do you want? How can I express love to you? But like, let's just talk about like obedience. Like when God has said, do this, are we doing that? And do we recognize that that is an act of worship? And I think that really gets at the cancer of the church uh, historically. And that is just hypocrisy of the, we come and we, we honor God with our lips. And then we go out and we live lives that are not in obedience to him. And you, in a very powerful way, brought this idea of obedience um, to the to the forefront. I love that you use different um, English translations of the Bible throughout your sermon. And then when you got to that section on obedience, you used um, the old living Bible, which I don't think is even digital at this point. So I was wondering uh, how, where that influence came from. I grew up on the Living Bible, so I recognized it. I was like, wait a second, that sounds familiar. And then I got on my Bible app the next day with Tiffany, and we were like, what? Was that NLT? And we couldn't find it anywhere, and I'm like, I got to find this. And yeah, the Living Bible. Um, yeah, what influenced that use? Just, I, I, you know, I use the Bible Gateway app and Blue Letter Bible, and, and so I was just reading it in, in many different versions. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I read that version, I knew that was the one yeah. because it's put so simply anything you ask of me, Lord, mm. I will do it. Yeah. It was beautiful. It was really resounding. One of the, what I've, I have for a long time recommended to people who are regular Bible readers to switch their translation regularly, just so that the scriptures can hit them in a new way, because we tend to fall into like mental ruts of like, I've heard this and I have a, I have a sense of the meaning of this. And it also can then become kind of uh, impersonal and external and um, that landed in just like a such a powerful way. And um, I, I did a little research yesterday on the, the Living Bible because I can remember my mom, when she first got saved, that was the Bible that she had. And she kind of switched to the NIV in the 90s and then the ESV. And, and so I, I, that was like bringing up childhood memories. But that Living Bible actually came out of um, family devotions. It was a, the guy who was the, the primary translator. He would read the King James Bible to his kids at night and then say like, uh, what does this mean to you? And they were like, nothing. Like, I don't even know what you're saying. 
And so he started translating um, from the King James Bible into like an English that his children could understand. And I just thought that was so like we, we're, we're called to have like faith like a child. But, we, but sometimes we need just some understanding like a child to go like, God, this is like, I will do anything you ask. And like that disposition and just the way it was put in such simple English, I think really there was a holy moment there. All three services, you could feel that that kind of just saturating into people's hearts of am I willing? And then, of course, the Abraham Isaac story at that point. Um, very well placed. Here's here's an instance of God asking. Now, it's obviously different. God's not going to the likelihood of God asking you to sacrifice your child at this point is zero percent that was like a special thing that had eternal redemptive significance and so like that is not there's a lot of theological hang-ups when people go wait a second how why would god do that that's like evil that why would so okay put that aside we can have a theological debate on that later but there are a lot of things that god has commanded us as his followers to do namely to start with loving one another forbearing with one another um being generous being forgiving you know, meeting the needs of the saints, praying, regularly gathering so many commands in the new Testament. And like you said, like you quoted from John's gospel, like if you love me, John, there's John 14, 15, you will keep my commandments. Like this is your expression of love is obedience. And so like, I think, I think there's going to be a lot of work the Holy spirit does in the hearts of the hearers from Sunday to go, am I yielding myself entirely to God? Am I walking in obedience to God? And if not Holy spirit, it's not a matter of me not knowing what to do. It's a matter of me choosing to walk with you uh, in love. And so I think that's going to be one that that hits strong and continues to do so. Hmm. I hope so. It hits me yeah. every time. So let's read our Bibles and let's do what God says. Can we do that? <laughs> Can we start with that? Love you, Jesus. And I'm going to do what you say. Um, you kind of turned a corner there and started talking about uh, sacrifice. Um connecting this idea of a sacrifice of praise. And um, you shared a quote about a man in a moment of pain, a pastor in a moment of pain who'd lost his wife to cancer and was bringing up to the surface the reality that that moment of pain will pass and there will not be another moment like that in which he can love the Lord. And I think that that really kind of was like a gut grab because it made us ask the question, is my love expressed towards God going to be dependent on my circumstances or am I going to like harness the grittiest, hardest, most painful parts of life and in the midst of those in like the Job like response, not just the Lord gives the Lord takes away. That's theological, but though he slay me yet, I will praise him recognizing that there's something powerful and potent about praising God in the midst of and through the pain we're walking through. It says something about his value, his goodness, our trust in him, his redemptive capacity. And I think that that really, um, I think palatably created a, a pivot of how do I understand God when I'm suffering, which is a theological question over to a, how do I express love to God in the opportunity of suffering? And I think, I think, there was a lot of appetite maybe for a little bit more of that. That's one of the the downsides of um, being in a short service is being able to bring a reality like that to the surface and then moving on from that, you know, but um, how, how have you found in your life that worshiping God in the pain uh, is, is a thing that 
builds you into the Lord and doesn't distract you through doubts and, and maybe theological questions? I'm still learning. I'm still <laughs> okay. learning. Um, and, and I think the story I expressed really showed recently, you know, walking through um, a, a place of, of despair and um, when it felt like everything, everything was closing in on me from all sides, even not just with my husband, it felt like everything that could go wrong was going wrong. Um, but, you know, ultimately for me, what I felt in that moment was the Lord was showing me that that the seeds that I had sown mm -hmm. throughout, like the seeds of worship, um, really took hold in that moment. So, so I really feel like worshiping perpetually, right? Mm -hmm. Like choosing to adore him in, in all moments prepared me to be able to choose to worship him in one of the darkest moments of my life. Yeah, it's good. And, um, and so, so I think that, that really, really helped. And I, and I watched as I began to worship him, it was almost like these seeds, you know, he, he was watering them and they were, they were starting to sprout. Um, so for me, like I said, I'm, I'm still learning that. I mean, it's, it's so easy to say, I'm going to worship you, Lord, no matter what, I believe that you're always good. Mm -hmm. But when, when really difficult circumstances come, it is difficult, but because I, I really have strived to attain a life of worship where I have an intimate relationship with Jesus, where I love him and he is the first love of my life. Um, I'm thankful that in those moments of pressure and crushing that I go back to my first love. Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. I think, I think there's a lot of confusion in our culture presently, like our immediate um, church and secular culture surrounding suffering. So like in our moment in time, like we exist in a world where technology and scientific research has alleviated a lot of suffering and created a lot of like temporal hope for healing and health. So there's, we have access to all sorts of basic need, needs like clean water and, fr and fresh food and uh, antibiotics. And there's like lots of things, vaccines, things that have like reshaped the human experience from like the level of pain and loss that it has equated. And you add to that like relative um, safety and peace in our, our country and lack of war. Like you go back 200, 300 years, like that was not the world. The world was, you know, people lived into their forties, fifties, maybe very rare did people live beyond that. And so, um, there was, there was a lot of death and childbirth and there was a lot of sickness that wasn't recovered from. And there was all kinds of tribalism and wars breaking out and suffering. And there wasn't access to clean water. And there was, I mean, it was just like a much darker, more painful earth than the one we live in. And I think that that has for generations who've grown up inside of that prosperity, there, there's like an expectation that that's normal. And then when we don't experience that personally, it can really plummet us into this, like, where are you God kind of reality. You add to that, that there, there's like a, an unhealthy spectrum of like Christian teaching on the topic of suffering, where on the one hand, there's kind of the health and wealth prosperity gospel that says like, um, God, God, uh, isn't in any suffering. And if there is suffering, it's, he has nothing to do with it. And it's, it's the enemy. And if you are suffering under it, it's a lack of faith. And there, so there can be like a lot of like, it's your fault if you're suffering, which is the deduction. This is kind of like Job's friends. Um, and then there's like, I kind of grew up in a world where suffering is expected, but then also kind of like super spiritualized. And so like suffering is actually good. And then suffering becomes oddly like celebrated and that's not healthy. Um, and I, I really felt like the story that you shared about what you were walking through with Aaron, I think everyone can kind of connect with that, that something like that, those moments. 
Um, but then to, to recognize that like we have a God who saved us through suffering, which means like our redemptive story, our like eternal story is going to be one where suffering, it plays a central role because of the suffering of Christ. And he also invites us into a life, short temporal life of enduring suffering on his behalf and experiencing his sustaining power in it. And so in one sense, we should expect our life to be cruciform, cross-shaped. Like it should be death to self. It should be uh, a series of laying down our lives in pursuit of God. It's going to, ex- ex- we're going to expect and experience persecution and opposition and heartache and betrayal. And yet in the midst of that, we're going to encounter a faithful God, a steadfast God, a just God. And it's in our worship of him through those things um, that that he becomes more visible and that we become more blessed. And I think this is really the message of a lot of the Psalms to me. And you mentioned that in passing, this is David's experience. Like here he's having this jubilant, undignified expression of God's love. When the, when the ark is, is coming back in the, like, this is God's presence is coming back. Like, this is a big deal. And he expressed that with a big deal only to the disdain of some people with upturned noses. And, and that's like one, one spectrum of David's worship. But there was lots of Psalms where he's crying out, like, telling his soul to remember God and trust in God, crying out to God in the midst of his pain, and yet allowing that active expression of worship to bring him back to a place of confidence in God's nearness and his presence and his promises to deliver. And so like, we want to have like a category for suffering, but we want to have a bigger category for loving God in the midst of whatever we're walking through. And, and that is going to be like, like you shared in your story, that that is where God meets us. And this is why you get people who say things like, as bad as that was, I would never I would never want to escape that because of what God did through it and in it, you know? And so this is why we keep going through. This is why people, Jesus followers, people of faith in God, we go through the fire, we go through the, and so we have that even if faith. And I think that's like the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like our God's going to save us out of this. This is nothing for him. But even if he doesn't, we're not, we're not capitulating to your pressure, to your external threats of violence. And so like, that's the, that's that durable faith in God that is expressed in worship and takes us back to that love. So that sacrifice was a really important point. So you kind of um, brought us to a very uh, application-driven end by focusing on adoration and brought us back to the more common understanding of the word worship or praise in terms of singing and expression. And I will tell you, um, our services tend to be fairly different because there's different groups of people and it's different times of the day and different mixes of young and old. And so like the, at least for me and as a preacher, I'm sure you experience this, the audience feels a little different from service to service. Yes. Um, and yet one of the things that I saw across the board in all three services, regardless of their timing, size, demographic was there was a notable response in that worship set after the sermon. And that just so encourages me because it says that the word was received and people love God and they were listening to you and they were saying, you know what? I am going to step out. I'm going to lift up my voice that I'm ashamed of. I'm going to lift up my hands. I'm going to be expressive in new ways. And there are people coming forward and getting on their knees and some people prostrate and some people uh, just, just expressing love to God through adoration uh, in a noticeable way. There was a shift from the way the morning started. 
Yes, I agree. I love it so much. <laughs> that that really was what what my my heart for the entire sermon was culminating to that moment for people to fall more in love with Jesus and then express it through adoration. Yeah, I think um, I think to the the little tidbit that you dropped there at the end from Zephaniah three seventeen, the like God's inviting you to express your love towards Him and singing. Here's this gift of music and and voice and song, but do you realize that God sings over you too? It just brought, again, that emphasis on a relationship and there's a mutual rejoicing. Like you bring God joy. He wants to be with you. He's thinking of not just a song, but songs. And, um, that was so powerful. I think there's an appetite maybe for a little Zephaniah sermon in your future. So. Oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> I'm constantly asking God, can I hear the song you sing over me? Yeah. 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 And that's, that's beautiful. I think, uh, pursuing God that way and listening. There's a number of ways in the scriptures where uh, he brings that intimacy. I love in Revelation 2 when he talks about a new name being written on a stone and nobody knows what's on that stone, you know? There's this like, there's this like personal, there's this personal level of intimacy with nicknames, you know? I don't know if you guys, like I'm Jesse, but my mom always called me Jess. She called me a number of different things. Moms are allowed to give you their children multiple nicknames, but when we talk, she says Jess, right? And so very few people call me Jess, but there was a misprint on my Sam's Club card and they left the E off. And so my card said Jess Jarvis on it. And so back in the days when you couldn't just scan and go and you actually had to go through a line, the Sam's Club employees would call you by your first name from your card. And so every time I would go to Sam's Club, someone would say, uh, you know, did you find everything today, Jess? And it would just feel so like, are we friends? Like, how do you know me? You know, and it was just that little bit of, of Nick of name, like intimate nickname. Yeah. And here's this expression of God going. Like, I see you, I know you, like there's a name that I'm going to call you. That's going to like bring you all the way to me, you know? And Jesus, I think he captures that with Nathaniel when he said, you know, here's a man in whom there's no lie. And like, what? Like you, you get me yes, in a way that people don't. And so I think that same feeling was expressed in this idea that God has a song over you. Like he yeah. sees you, he, you bring, you specifically bring him joy. You, you bring out creativity and and adoration in him. And I think that that really creates an appetite for other people to express that back to God. That was beautiful. So the last thing you kind of left us with was those kind of 10 Hebrew words. Um, a few years ago, um, when Jordan Bilal was here, was one of our worship leaders. Uh, he's at, um, Jesus school right now, but he kind of would take some Sundays and was leading the church through those words. Uh, actually our whole team was, um, I, I can remember specifically, um, Jordan doing that with the Yada. And, um, this is like an intimate word to know, um, this used in a very flexible way, but the lifting of hands and he was, he was inviting everybody to lift their hands. And there is something that happens when we go outside of our comfort zone. And when we do a thing that we've never done before, and there's lots of um, reasons not to do that. Like I, you know, growing up in church, um, I, I can remember being in, in like a, a pretty group think type of environment where, I was sitting in the back of the room watching people worship and it was like the chorus comes and everybody's hands goes up and then the verse comes and everybody's hands goes down and it was like everybody did the same thing and it was more a matter of like the social environment than it was like an active like personal expression of love to God. Um, But there is something valuable to be said. Let's do a thing that's uncomfortable for us because we've never done it and then experience the intimacy and the joy and the love expressed in that. And um, I, I don't, I don't know what I'm in the front row, so I don't get to watch anymore, but, um, I could feel that in the room, that expression. And uh, I think that was a big deal to, to end that way and to invite people to express 
using the, a reference to each of those words, you know, whether it was getting low, proskuneo from the New Testament Greek, to get low, to kiss the hand, to just to, to give God some reverence. And so as people were able to like enter into that, um, I can only imagine the, the fruitfulness that came and the intimacy that was developed through that expression of love. And I hope that there's some continued growth in that in the, in the weeks and months to come as people grow as worshipers. Yes, I do too. I hope so as well. And, and I think even for some people, when you talk about getting uncomfortable, it goes simultaneous to that whole, it costs you something, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it costs us our dignity. And, and, and even though we're a safe place where, you know, a place where people do raise their hands. I, I grew up in a church where we did not raise hands. Yeah. You did not. And if you did, you were given the side eye. <laughs> and, and I'll never forget being a young teen. And I was in the midst of a worship service there. And the Lord spoke to me and said, raise your hands to me. Hmm. And in that moment, it, it cost me something. It yeah. cost me some dignity. Yeah. Um, but the way that I encountered his presence in a new way and his nearness um, it encouraged me to continue to be obedient yeah. in those, in those offerings of praise what it, and goes back to obedience, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, I think it's important to like just chat briefly for our listening audience, anybody who's caring enough to listen at this level. Um, this idea of a safe place for expression because people are at different places of comfort level and experience. So if you grew up in a frozen chosen church where you don't raise your hand, some of those churches, like literally if somebody raises a hand, the service will stop and somebody will ask question. Do you have a question? <laughs> like, why are you raising your hand? <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Um, and there's various reasons for that. I'm sure some of them are maybe well thought out and some of them not some of them are just cultural, but we're all moving towards Jesus and we're all moving from a different place and at a different angle. And we have worked very hard to create an atmosphere where even if someone's different than you, you don't have to judge them. In fact, you shouldn't because you don't know them. You don't know what they, where they've come from. You don't know their movement towards Jesus. And so, um, while there are people I'm sure in Christchurch services who are standing, not singing, not lifting their hands, watching the lyrics and watching other people around them, uncomfortable with worship and having had no experience of expressing their love to God this way. We want them to feel welcome. Yes. And at the same time, if there's someone who is experiencing like a radical ex- expression of love from God and toward God, and they can't contain it and they're expressing that in like, you know, undignified movement, like we want them to feel comfortable uh, because none of those things are, you know, off limits. Now, certainly they can be distracting. So I'm not, I'm not saying that it's not sometimes distracting to see someone, you know, moving around with big movements. Um, but if they're, if they're doing that actually as unto the Lord, then the attention maybe that's going to them really ought to be going through them Yes. to say like, Hey, wow, we have a God who's like worthy of giving you just everything, like everything you have, like the biggest emotions, the largest leaps, the loudest yells, you know? And, um, and, and like you mentioned too, like, I'm sure if it was in every service, but just like you go to a football party and you're going to see some people acting in ways you've never seen them act in other polite society. And yet it's acceptable, but that's just merely cultural. And so as we create a culture of worship in a broad array, not just in music and not just everybody doing the same thing the same way, but, but putting our focus on the God who is worthy, our focus on Jesus and a, and a, a desire to express our love for him in every aspect of life, whether that's giving or serving or sacrifice, certainly obedience and in adoration, there is going to be a, an openness and a comfort level 
to express that. And there will be people who aren't comfortable with that. And that's fine. If, you know, if it's not for you, then we want you to grow in your journey towards Jesus in an environment that is, but we want to create that safe space. And so I did feel like we had that on Sunday and that's something that we want to protect for the future. So, amen. Any concluding thoughts before we jump off? No, just as you were speaking earlier, even just about when we're talking about Zephaniah 317 and, and the Lord was just reminding me that his thoughts for us outnumber the grains of sand. Yeah. And, um, so that was just, I think somewhere, someone listening today needs to know that, that he is always thinking about you. Yeah. That's how loved you are. So good. Yeah. I love the word preoccupied. Sometimes we talk about that in a bad way. Like you're talking to someone and you're like, you're not here. Where are you? And they'll say, oh, I'm preoccupied. But like preoccupation is like, I am so fixated on a thing that I can't stop thinking about it. And like, do you realize like that is like the, uh, one of the best English words of, of getting that idea. Like God's preoccupied with you. Yes. Like you, you woke up thinking about you, but he woke up thinking about you too, you know? And, um, he, he's, he's eager for you to occupy your thoughts with him and then watch just the miracles that happen when the two of you come together when you are preoccupied with him and you're recognizing that he's already preoccupied with you, that he's got things in store for you, that he wants to work on the inside of you and he wants to work through you and he wants to do amazing things all around you. That's going to usher us into, I think to an expectation that leads to a lifestyle um, of praise worthy of saying he's worthy of it all. I'm going to give him my everything in our, in our waking and our sleeping in our driving and our eating in our relationships and our scripture study uh, with our music just all the way around. And that is, um, that is a people who are inhabiting the kingdom of God where the presence of God is active. And I think where we are going to see some amazing things as God works through people like that and through environments like that. And so I'm, I'm eager to not only continue to cultivate that environment here uh, at Christ church in Port Orange, but also, um, as we're multiplying and as we're expanding into new territories to, to bring that there too. So it's going to, that's going to involve all hands on deck. So um, thanks, honey, for sharing with us today on the podcast and for Bill joining us. And uh, look forward to being with you next week as we start to prepare our hearts and uh, our offering and our commitments uh, for the Say Yes Sunday. So we're going we're gonna to move in that direction uh, over the next two weeks. And we'd love for you to, to join us in person or online. And uh, as always, we invite your questions, comments. Um, and we'd love to share them, respond to them on the podcast. So jesse at joinwithjesus.org, J-E-S-S-E. There is no I in my name. And uh, you can also reach Honey, honey at joinwithjesus.org. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. Um, thanks for listening, and uh, God bless. Next time, we'll see you. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this week's deep dive into the scriptures. Our goal is to help you know Jesus better so that you can implement your identity in Christ, engage in your unique purpose and calling, and create community around your relationship with Jesus. For more content like this and opportunities to connect with us in person, find us online at joinwithjesus.org.